Hello, I'm Mimi Pickering, your host for this edition of Making Connections News. This month, we're featuring the Kentucky Labor Day Town Hall. It was held virtually on September 7th because of COVID-19, the virus that has now infected 58,000 Kentuckians and killed more than 1,000 of our friends and neighbors. COVID-19 is also devastating our economy. Nearly 40% of Kentucky workers have applied for unemployment, the highest rate in the country. Meanwhile, the U.S. Senate has failed to act on additional relief, instead letting emergency unemployment payments and other COVID relief benefits expire. At the town hall, we hear from Kentucky workers, union leaders, experts, and policymakers who call on Congress to provide the federal aid that workers, their families, and their communities need during this crisis. Here is Mackenzie Cantrell, Kentucky State Representative from Louisville and host of the town hall. Like I said, today's Labor Day, and I want to thank you all especially for joining us. I know that we are normally doing other things on Labor Day, and I hope you all have exciting exciting and safe plans later for uh, a socially distant barbecue or watching a good sporting event. But today is unlike any other. Uh, I personally am normally at the uh, Labor Day at the zoo that our local uh, Louisville unions host. And I know there's other Labor Day celebrations in Lexington and Paducah, but because we uh, don't believe that we can do those safely today, we still wanted to get together and celebrate today and workers and families and uh, the, the, the unique circumstances that we're in. Um, I'm definitely a glass half full kind of person. And I think one of the good things that you can look at about this virus is we have almost a renewed appreciation for workers, whether it's our healthcare heroes or the workers who have worked in our meat packing plants or uh, who are working in our supply chain for food and keeping food in the grocery stores and everyone who is working to help us combat the virus. We've also had uh, workers in every different sector who have worked differently this year, whether it's uh, working from home or adapting with new skills, such as the platform that we're using right now to host this call. So we're here today to, to say thank you, to celebrate those things, to appreciate all those things, and, and to talk about what might be um, on the horizon for some of those workers who are still out there struggling right now. As, as much as we want to get on here and celebrate uh, workers, we know that there are a lot of people out there still hurting uh, as a result of this virus and the Senate's lack of uh, action before the holiday break on uh, reauthorizing unemployment assistance. You notice I didn't say Congress, I specifically said the Senate. We're really uh, fortunate today to have uh, our congressman, my congressman, John Yarmuth from Kentucky's third congressional district with us today. And he's gonna give us a few opening remarks just uh, to celebrate Labor Day, to, to recognize what a very special day this is for workers and unions in the history uh, that goes along with all of our workplace benefits. And also, Congressman, I'd love if you were able to give us an update on what you see when, when we come back from the recess. Um, Get, you know, tell us, tell us what you know. Good morning, everybody. And uh, Mackenzie, thanks so much for, and all the organizations sponsoring this, for putting this together. I'd say happy Labor Day, but there's not a lot to be happy about these days. So 
let's just uh, uh, call it uh, a recognition of Labor Day. And Mackenzie basically stole a lot of my thunder. But uh, one of the things that I, I think I'll get into in a second is uh, a, a renewed sense of the, the worth of, uh, of certain jobs that uh, has not been there before. First of all, uh, normally I'd be at the Louisville Zoo this, uh, this day and always look forward to that, uh, particularly in a presidential election year because uh, we all get uh, riled up uh, at that event. And last year, some of you from Louisville remember, it was the first public uh, appearance of my grandson, JD. Uh, he had not been out in public uh, until that day. So that's something that uh, uh, will be part of his legacy as well. Uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, time flies now. We, I, I think we all kind of lose track of time. I was on a similar call with some labor uh, people. And one of the people who spoke that day was a guy named Greg. And Greg was or is a maintenance worker at Seneca High School in Louisville. And while he was speaking, um, it occurred to me that six months prior to that, there's probably not a person in this community, in this state or in this country who would have given a second thought to Greg and the work he does. Uh, but now when parents are dealing with the issue of sending uh, their kids back to school and Greg is one of the people who will be responsible for making sure that that school is safe and sanitary, uh, all of a sudden Greg becomes an incredibly important person and uh, somebody who's doing jobs that a lot of people wouldn't take $50 an hour for, not to think of uh, probably the 11 or $12 an hour that he's, he's making. So uh, Lynn, uh, Mackenzie ran down the list of some, uh, and there's always a danger in talking about uh, all the people who have uh, proven their value many times over during this crisis, uh, nurses and uh, truck drivers and uh, uh, meat packing uh, house employees and uh, grocery workers you know, can't leave out teachers. I think uh, most parents of school-aged children have an incredibly elevated appreciation of what teachers do right now. Uh, school workers like Greg. Uh, what, don't let's not forget our postal workers, our letter carriers, who are out there every day now, in spite of the fact that the Trump administration is trying to sabotage the postal service. These people are doing their jobs under enormous strain and at, and at a risk as well to personal health. They're doing that every day. Uh, let's not forget the census workers, many of whom live in our community, who are, again, taking a risk doing their job during this most important process. So um, I think we all understand that, but we need to be talking about that more. I'm, I'm doing it every time I have an opportunity to. And I have an idea, maybe, uh, Bill, you can... Uh, pass this on to the powers that be, maybe you are already contemplating something like this, but I think there ought to be a national pin that says I am an essential union worker and have every union member wear those pins to reinforce that, that uh, notion among the American people that it is so many essential workers who are in unions who are keeping this country uh, uh, afloat during this incredible time. Uh, I design it, but I have no artistic talents at all. So let's get to the Washington scene. Um, first of all, remember what we did in May, we being House Democrats, we passed 
a $3.4 trillion uh, relief package. And we named it the HEROES Act. We named it the HEROES Act for exactly the reasons we've been talking about. And that is that a lot of the support that was in that bill was designed to bolster and, and reinforce the support for our heroes, our state municipal employees who have, have done so much. Because you know, about a third of that bill, a little less than a third, was for relief to state and local governments uh, whose revenues are hurt dramatically by this. And of course that uh, we've lost about a million and a half at last count of uh, public sector jobs. Uh, and that's what our main focus was in terms of uh, kind of the, the infrastructure, our human infrastructure in the country in that, that act. We also had obviously an extension of unemployment benefits supplement of $600 a week that went through January 31st. Uh, we had uh, additional help for to prevent evictions and uh, to help mortgagees. Uh, so we tried, and, and also some more help for, for small businesses because uh, we've, the CARES Act, which we passed in March, helped keep small businesses alive, but now that help is running out and has run out. Uh, so we're at risk of losing even more small businesses and more jobs in that respect. So we're in a fight now fundamental philosophical difference as what the role of government is. Uh, you know, we consistently help whenever there's a natural disaster. Uh, sometimes we have disputes. I know there were a lot of Republicans from the Northeast. I mean, I'm sorry, from the South and Southwest who didn't want to help the Northeast when Sandy hit, uh, but ultimately they did. We helped the Sandy victims. We helped the victims of flooding in Houston. We always step up. This is a national, 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 natural disaster. It's one that could have been avoided unlike hurricanes and flooding, but it, well, it is a natural, national, natural disaster. And no one, no one should object to helping put people back in their, the, the position they were before this natural disaster. Republicans don't seem to feel that way. Uh, it is bizarre to me that so many of Republican supporters and Republican uh, uh, members who have states who are, being, who are suffering and local governments who are suffering uh, think it's not the federal government's role to step in when there's no one else to step in. And again, there are, other than probably the president of the United States and his administration, there are no negligent actors in the United States. No small business person, no individual employer, no worker had anything to do with their being un unemployed or being unable to make their mortgage payments or feed their families. None of them did anything wrong. Uh, the federal government actually did something wrong here. We, fa we failed to respond to the challenge and the crisis. Uh, so we need to make people good. And that's what we're gonna continue to fight for. Uh, I have no idea where this is going. We're going to go back to Washington next week. Uh, we're going to, the week after, on the 14th, we're going to pass a, a funding bill to keep the government funded past September 30th when the fiscal year ends. And hopefully by that time, uh, Republicans and Democrats will have come together in recognition of the absolute responsibility of the United States government to, uh, to help people sustain their, their lives. And uh, I'm committed to that. I know all Democrats are. We'll see where the Republicans are. Uh, you know, Mitch McConnell, and uh, we, I can't help but being overly partisan, but 
Mitch McConnell wasn't totally wrong in March when he said, let's wait a while and see how this goes. Perfectly reasonable. We, everybody thought, well, this is a two or three month thing, maybe four months, it'll be over. We'll see what we have to do. Where he was totally negligent and continues to be negligent and irresponsible today is that he never had a plan B. He never said, well, it may last longer, so let's talk about what we might do if we need to do more. He didn't do that, he waited three months until all of these benefits were about to expire, all the provisions of the CARES Act. And then he said, okay, well, I'd like to do something, but I have 20 members of my uh, Republican conference who are not gonna vote for anything, so I won't do anything. He stepped away from his responsibility. And now we're relying on Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, president's chief of staff, who is a, a, a Tea Party guy, a Freedom Caucus guy who has absolutely no interest in, in spending any money uh, we have Steve Mnuchin, who's a movie producer uh, and an investment banker, who actually turns out to be the most reasonable of all the administration people. And then you have the president of the United States, who doesn't know where he is on any given issue or day. And uh, so it's, it's a very tough negotiation. That's what we face. Let me give one more comment about what happens if we take the government back, because I think this is where we can all be hopeful. Uh, if we take the Senate and Joe Biden is elected president, you will see very different discussions next year. Discussions that we haven't had in the last, maybe ever. Uh, we will raise the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour. That, that'll happen in the first couple of days. We will pass card check. I'm convinced of that. We will undo many of the D Department of Labor rules that have tipped the scales in an unconscionable way against workers. And not too long ago, I went went back and read the reauthorizing legislation for the Department of Labor back in the 1930s. And the mission statement is, we, the, the department is created to protect the rights of workers, not the rights of employers. But that's not the way that Republican administrations have looked at that department, and certainly not the way that Donald Trump's administration has viewed that department. So we're gonna do that. Uh, I think there's gonna be some discussion about universal basic income. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, we're, again, we're gonna have very different discussions, but the focus will be on working families and the, and the people who have consistently put themselves out, sacrificed, done the hard work uh, to make sure this country uh, grows. And uh, I, I guarantee you that. So, you know, I never thought I'd be in Congress uh, for 10 years. And here I am asking the voters to send me back for my 15th and 16th years. And um, I will tell you that the reason that I'm so excited about that is the possibility to finally have a government that is responsive to the needs, uh, needs of the American workers and the challenges of this country going forward. Thank you so much, you. Congressman. You've certainly given us a lot to think about today. And, um, uh, but when Congress gets back in session, we need them to take some actions because there are a lot of sectors, industries, workers and families out there st still hurting. And uh, the Center for Popular Democracy has some tools. Uh, and I think uh, Bill Londrigan with the AFL-CIO is also gonna give us a number that we can call and so we can make our voices heard. And so I'll turn it over to you now, Bill Londrigan, the president of the Kentucky AFL-CIO. Good morning. Uh, thank you, Mackenzie. And uh, thank you, uh, Congressman Yarmouth, uh, for y'all's uh, steadfast support of workers and unions. 
I want to wish everybody a great, uh, enjoyable Labor Day. And while I do that, I would like to ask folks to keep in mind and remember uh, those workers that uh, have been killed or injured on the job, uh, whether it be from COVID or from other reasons. We always want to keep our workers in mind, which we do each year on Workers Memorial Day. Uh, I also want to thank our union representatives and our unions for all of the great work and uh, work that they do every day uh, to protect the interest of our workers and build the economy uh, of this country. You know, in the last several months, uh, our legislative representatives uh, in Frankfurt have been holding interim committee hearings, uh, and each uh, hearing they have agendas which are reflective of uh, looking at issues related to COVID-19. Uh, and those uh, folk, they've been focusing basically on how that's impacting organizations, government agencies, businesses. Uh, and during this entire time, they've absolutely left out the interest uh, of workers uh, and the voices of workers. There have been no hearings whatsoever on how the COVID uh, crisis, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and the pandemic is impacting workers. So that's why one of the reasons why we're here today, so we can hear from some workers, both employed and unemployed, uh, that are not being given voice, we'll say, in the legislative process. And you also know, uh, as Congressman Yarmouth mentioned, the uh, HEROES Act was passed by the uh, U.S. House of Representatives 115 days ago, and our U.S. Senator Mitch McConnell has done absolutely nothing to advance the interest of workers through the HEROES Act. And there was an element of the HEROES Act, in, in addition to many, many others that were very uh, necessary and essential to get our economy working and to protect the interest uh, of, our, of our workers, uh, that involved the uh, requirement for OSHA to issue a federal standard to protect workers in a pandemic and from communicable diseases on the job. And of course, that has not happened. And it needs to happen. It needs to occur right now. We know that workers are being exposed to COVID, to the coronavirus at work uh, in many, many occupations, and many, many of them are dying as a result. And we need quick action. We need Congress to, we need the U.S. Senate, we need McConnell to get off his you-know-what and to pass the HEROES Act so that we can get this economy working again, so that we can protect the interests of people uh, that are working on the job every day and putting their lives and the lives of their family members at risk due to the lack of an enforceable standard. So this Labor Day, workers face an unprecedented challenge to their health, <clears throat> the health of their families and their loved ones. You know, we must not stop until we pass the HEROES Act and that our nation gets our economy back on, the feet, on its feet and the workers of this country are given the due consideration that they so much deserve. As Congressman Yarmouth mentioned, uh, essential workers are almost all workers and that who, is, who we are here to protect and the, those are the interests that we're here as an organized labor movement to promote. And with the help of our, our friends in Congress and if people get out to vote their selection day, uh, go votekygovernor uh, to get your ballot and get it right now. I will end by saying, uh, to give everybody a very uh, a, a well-deserved uh, Labor Day uh, wishes and, and thank you all for participating today. Thank you so much, Bill. I wanna direct everyone's attention to the chat. 
The Center for Popular Democracy has given us a text feature. You can text extend UI, all one word, to 747464 and tell your senators to extend unemployment insurance immediately and provide hazard pay and proper PPE to workers. Definitely something worthy that you can do to celebrate Labor Day today. And with that, I'm gonna turn it over now to Caitlin and Bob Blair. Uh, Caitlin and Bob are from, are from the United Food and Commercial Workers, Local 227 in Louisville, Kentucky. They're gonna introduce our, our next worker and panelist. Bob and Caitlin, thank you so much. Thank you, Mackenzie. And um, so happy Labor Day, everybody. Labor Day 2020, it's kind of crazy. Um, usually, our union family it smells like hot dogs right now because we're at Zoom feeding and showing appreciation for labor. Um, over these last crazy months, our members at meatpacking plants and grocery stores, they've shown great dedication to serve their communities and get through this global pandemic. As you gather this holiday weekend, hopefully socially distant and wearing a mask, uh, Remember where those groceries and that meet your grilling came from, and it came at a very high price. Our people face things every day in our stores and plants. They, they work so close together in our grocery stores. Uh, for everybody that shows appreciation, there are those people that refuse to wear a mask, refuse to socially distance. Um, and these people, our workers, our heroes, they go home to their children. They go home to their parents that they're taking care of um, every day. Most of them have to shower and take off the clothes in another room before they go in. And um, in one of our packing houses, um, they've been told not to wear their shirts in the restaurants and stuff because people will ask them to leave. Uh, nationally, our union members, workers, there have been at least 103 grocery worker deaths and over 14,300 grocery workers infected or exposed to COVID-19. At least 150 meatpacking worker deaths and over 17,700 meatpacking workers infected by this disease. The sad part about that is these numbers are definitely higher because our plants and retail outlets aren't being totally transparent about this. So it, they face this every day and they deserve something for doing so. In Kentucky, we represent around 23,000 hardworking men and women that work at a meat packing plant or a grocery store every single day. All of them have individual stories showing their dedication and sacrifice like Jason Wilson, who is concerned about not being able to socially distance at work. He works at a Tyson plant on the D-bone line, 18 inches apart from, his, from the coworker next to him on a line with hundreds of workers um, going at 145 birds per minute. Um, interestingly enough, the USDA granted his plant a waiver to increase the line speeds during COVID-19 to 175 birds per minute or Mason Sims, a pharmacy tech in the Lexington area who hasn't seen his family that lives in Hopkinsville since Christmas because he's afraid and the health and safety of his family is too uh, important to hit to risk. 
he said, he told me the other day, thank God for FaceTime, but it's not the same when you can't give your family a hug. As Kentucky continues to see the number of cases rise, we all know that the threat of coronavirus makes their jobs more dangerous and more difficult than ever. They continue to show up and work long hours to get you and your family through this pandemic. Um, Congress, uh, as or we need, they need hazard pay, increased access to PPE and testing, and enforceable safety standards that keep them safe at work. Congress can do it, or the Senate rather, McKenzie, can do it by passing the HEROES Act. Mitch McConnell continues to stop that from happening. And if the Senate can't pass the HEROES Act, our governor can authorize the Kentucky Labor Cabinet um, to enforce his healthy at work guidelines. And we as consumers and as customers can wear a mask when we shop and demand that corporations that are making record profits pay their workers the hazard pay that they deserve. There are lots of ways that we can work together to help our essential workers. This Labor Day, I, we ask that if you've gone to a grocery store for things that your family needs, or if you fed your family a piece of meat during this pandemic, stand with essential workers and our union family to demand that these hardworking men and women get the appreciation, the support, the protection, and the pay that they've earned and deserve. Thank you. Stay safe. Thank you so much, Bob and Caitlin, for providing those very important perspectives from your members. The next uh, group we're going to hear from, and uh, we're going to have Theo Hamilton kick it off from ATU, the Amalgamated Transit Union Workers, Local 1447. Theo, happy hey. Labor Day. Yeah, raise the roof. We're celebrating at home. <laughs> hey, I'd like to say uh, thank you. Thank you for having us on, uh, myself and Mr. Visor. Uh, and like uh, the Blairs, I would normally smell like the front gate uh, at the zoo, uh, getting my selfie with my friend, Mr. John Yarman, uh, mm -hmm. as he comes through. All right. Um, locally, or let me start off, ATU, uh, is the Amalgamated Transit Union. Uh, across the nation, we've lost uh, 90 members uh, locally. We have uh, 10 members who have, have contracted the virus and one of those who almost died from it uh, a few weeks ago, uh, if it wasn't for his wife uh, encouraging him to go and he still didn't wanna go. So she called the ambulance to come and get him. He almost died if he would have stayed another day or so at home, he would have died. Um, what our international spoke about, we had one of our IVPs um, who had contracted the virus, who was in the hospital on a respirator. And he came through uh, and did not pass from this virus. And then he told the story about what it was like being on, uh, on a ventilator after they induced him into a coma. Uh, he says that the, the main, main topic of his story is have someone in your corner that will speak for you. Cause when they induce you into a coma, you won't be able to speak for yourself. Uh, he said that the doctors told his wife that, uh, you know, go ahead and start making arrangements. He's not gonna make it. And her being a union uh, uh, fighter as well, she fought and said, no, you're gonna do everything you can to make sure he makes it through. 
So the moral of his story was make sure you have someone in your corner speak for you, because if not, you are going to die. They are going to let you die on those ventilators. So everybody, and I did it myself after he said the story, I contacted all my family members and told them if I catch this virus, please do not pull the plug on me because I am going to continue fighting like I always do. Um, uh, we, we have 20,000 across the United States uh, that uh, members have been laid off uh, due to coronavirus and uh, having issues with trying to get the agencies to fund us and, and give us hazard pay or essential pay, whatever they want to call it. Um, the safety of the public and my operators and the maintenance workers are my biggest concerns. Uh, our mayor, uh, pretty sure everybody knows who our mayor is. I don't really want to say his name. Um, he won't make TARC take care of the workers that make the upper management relevant. My membership uh, are working in fear. The paratransit sector, all passengers and workers are in harm's way of this virus. And the contracted or uh, the contracted company, MV Transportation, is not doing all that could be done, such as face masks face shields uh, and making sure that there's only two passengers per bus. They're literally trying to put everyone in the city of Louisville in danger. They are not from Louisville. They are out of this state uh, company, a US-based company that's bringing harm to everybody in Louisville. And the paratransit company means uh, those that have to go to dialysis, uh, those who can't ride the regular bus service, they have to use this service. They're in danger. And uh, we have a uh, protest tomorrow in front of TARC at 3 p.m. Uh, standing with the, um, the passengers, uh, which is the disability, Metro Disability Coalition. So with my little spill out the way, I'd like to introduce uh, my friend, uh, a good person, a great person, uh, Mr. Greg Visor. Uh, he's a transit worker. Uh, he's a coach operator for TARC. Um, and he, I believe, was on the layoff uh, list not long ago um, that Target laid off 133 people and just recently brought him back. And I begged and asked Tark not to lay anyone off because of the CARES Act would supply money, funding for you to keep everybody working, not to harm anyone, but they chose not to do so. So at this time, I would like to introduce my friend, Greg Weiser. Hello, uh, my name is Greg Advisor, and I am a coach operator for TARC, the city of Louisville. And as Theo stated, I was one of the people that was, that was laid off due to the pandemic. Um, the thing that we're having now is that myself and all drivers, we just want to be safe. We want to limit the amount of passengers that get on the bus when we do call it in. They'll tell us just to keep driving. And previously they were sending shadow buses. We're not getting that. And what it all boils down is I feel that Tark really don't really don't care about us as drivers. They say they do, but they're not showing us they do. And far as I have other friends in other agencies that are drivers, they're receiving hazard pay, hero pay, whatever you want to call it, on the hour. And Tark said they have the money, but they're not 
they're not giving to us. I think we're just as important as any other hero in the city, the policemen, the firemen, the grocery store workers. I think that we're just as valuable as they are. My life and my family life is just as important as theirs. And I want to thank you all. I'm going to wish everyone a happy Labor Day. That's all I have to say right now. Thank you, Theo and Greg. Um, thank you both for letting us know how we can support you. Uh, it seems like you all are in a, in a bit of a fight right now. So we certainly support you in that. Uh, next, we're going to turn it over. Ashley, are you ready? Ashley is the campaign lead for IUECWA. Thank you, Mackenzie. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm happy to be here. Um, this is a great list of panelists. And I am, I'm a campaign lead for IUECWA. We represent over 40,000 union workers nationwide. Um, and actually, one of our biggest locals is in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, pretty much all of our workers have been deemed essential since this um, coronavirus has broken out. And, you know, people are putting their lives on the line for, you know, barely $15 an hour at some plants. And so um, one of the people that we brought along today um, that's going to speak here in a minute is from um, Appliance Park in Louisville, Kentucky. It's we've got about 4,000 union members there. And he's going to speak about, you know, just the work conditions inside the plant and things that they've been going through. And um, hopefully some changes we can make, you know, as far as management, making sure that everybody has a safe workplace and they can go home to their family. Um, I'm going to introduce the Clarence White. And Clarence, um, you can take it from here. Yeah, I'm Clarence White. Uh, happy Labor Day. Um, you know, um, I was listening to everybody talk and, you know, it's it's refreshing. Not happy about it, but it's refreshing and actually a little encouraging to know that other people are going through same things, if not worse than what we are. Because we kind of feel like we're on an island um, at our uh, plant. Our plant, as Ashley said, is uh, 4,000 strong. Um, just to kind of put that into, into perspective, it's five buildings. So you can roughly say about 800 people per building, somewhere around there. Some have more, some have less sometimes. But um, you're talking 4,000 people. And one of the issues that we're having is anxiety levels. Anxiety levels have dropped here lately, but I think it's more because of complacency rather than uh, a feeling of being safe. The, the thing is, we we have cases every single day. I deal with people in the in the hall as far as medical, uh, doing health insurance and different things like that. We're dealing with cases every single day. The thing is, the company is not making us feel safe. They're not letting us know where the cases are. I know HIPAA, you cannot name people, but in some cases, we have people on Facebook, on our Facebook page, and they will warn people in their section. But the company is not doing this. The company deems us, I believe, and, and that's the consensus in the plan, deems us disposable, really. And I, I'm not saying they want to see us die, but they deem us disposable. And that's a problem. That's a problem. The cleaning has become lax. Uh, the screenings, I believe, have become lax. Uh, I've noticed, we have rumors, but I've noticed that it seems like the people that are uh, manning the, the screening, our temperature screenings, are not company employees. They they seem like the rumor is it, it's another company that really shouldn't be doing it because they don't care. 
And then even to compact that, an issue that we have, the way our plan is set up, it cannot, it cannot be safe because there's ways once you come through that gate, you do not necessarily have to go through the front entrance and be screened. You can, once you come through the gate, you can access almost any building at any time without going through the front doors to be screened. Now, you would think everyone want to be screened, but you have some issues where people are late, whatever it may be, and they may not want to go through the screening. They may be late, clock in late. But this is an issue. I mean, this is really an issue that, that we don't seem to have an answer for. Company just, they just, they just tell us, oh, there was cases. We had this case, we had that case. Don't tell us which building, whatever. Because at this point, with some of the, they bringing people in at $14 an hour there, which is ridiculous. But some people would choose to leave that job if it is that detrimental to their health and or their family members. They would choose to leave that job, especially if you only make it $14 an hour where they're trying to bring people in. And they, if they had that choice, enough information not to, not to run over top of someone else's uh, rights and things like that, their privacy, but we need that information. We got to have that information. This is a deadly virus. If it doesn't kill us, it could kill a family member, a friend, someone at the grocery store, whatever it is. We need help. We need somebody to do something and hold these companies accountable. And then I can't go into it, but then our unemployment insurance. We're not, we have, we have members that are not receiving unemployment. They not, they holding on and holding on and holding on, trying to keep things together and they have not received their unemployment. We need somebody to fight for us. And that's it, I'm over my four minutes, look like I'm eight seconds over. Thank you for your time. Clarence, thank you so much. Thank you all so much for the work that you're doing, the risk that you're taking for your family, the risk that you're taking to provide us with needed, needed services. And um, to take us back a little bit, we're going to turn it over to Jason Bailey. Jason is with the Kentucky Center for Economic Policy. Jason, how does this look like for workers in Kentucky right now on this Labor Day? Well, thank you, Mackenzie, and uh, it's an honor to be with the uh, brave men and women on this call and Congressman Yarmouth and uh, Bill and the AFL-CIO. Uh, happy Labor Day, everyone. Um, so the, uh, we've heard a little about the, what, what folks are facing who are on, on the job um, uh, in these difficult times and with the threat of the virus. The other half of the coin, which we've, all, we've also begun to hear, hear about and we'll hear more about shortly, is, is folks who've lost their jobs. And we now know that half of all Kentucky households, Kentuckians say that they have lost household employment income in this crisis. So either someone has lost a job, they've lost hours on the job, or they've lost wages. And we know that those rates of, of job loss and income loss are even higher for Black and Latino households in Kentucky and among people in low-wage work, uh, whether it's in restaurants or retail, childcare or temp agencies, uh, many folks have, have lost work and are in very difficult situations. The pain from that job loss is widespread. 
but it would have been much worse uh, without the federal aid that was enacted this spring, and especially the $600 a week in unemployment benefits given under the CARES Act. Earlier this summer, when the census asked people who lost their jobs how they were making ends meet, the number one reason, the number one way was those unemployment benefits that were bigger. The number two way was the $1,200 stimulus checks. Beyond that, people were drawing down what little savings some people have. They were selling assets like their cars. They were driving up credit card debt. They were borrowing from friends and family when they were, uh, when they were not just cutting back and doing without. And we know all those are avenues that are running out as time goes by without additional stimulus. Uh, the CARES Act was also critical to keeping the economy from deteriorating further. And in fact, to the extent we've had a little bit of jobs bounce back the last few months, to a large degree, that was because people had money in their pockets and they spent it into the economy. But now the aid is expired. Um, even while the, the COVID-19 cases have had a second spike and the end of the pandemic is nowhere in sight. We saw job loss slow the last two months and more temporary job loss is becoming permanent as we're seeing businesses shutter for good. With the expiration of the federal aid, Kentucky is losing $100 million a week just from the loss of the $600 in unemployment benefits alone, $100 million a week. And we'll soon see uh, state and local governments uh, begin to cut more services and reduce their workforces as we've always heard about in Louisville. Uh, as they deal with severe drops in revenue and added costs. And if those budget cuts are allowed to happen without the more federal aid, that's just going to mean more workers on the unemployment line and, and, a, and a further drag on already a terrible economy. And for families, for workers, as the past due rent due and the bills pile up and the severe lack of jobs remain, uh, it adds up to a growing crisis for laid off workers, families, and communities. But we know what works and, and we know what's needed. And it's already been mentioned, Congressman Yarmouth talked about this at the beginning of the call. Uh, a bill was passed in May, the HEROES Act, that includes the measures necessary to get us through the next phase of this crisis, including those supplemental unemployment benefits, including things like food assistance and housing assistance. We're under a moratorium for evictions, but rent is still due and people are going to owe all that back rent for the months they didn't pay, and including aid to state and local governments to prevent harmful budget cuts, um, as well as providing support for workers on the job, like essential worker pay that we've already talked about. Uh, the Senate, though, as we know, has not yet passed a package, and they're talking about voting this week on a bill that's even smaller than the wholly inadequate proposal they put out a little month, over a month ago. The executive actions the president recently took are, are, are also meager and will expire in just a few weeks. If the Senate doesn't agree to act and to act with a robust aid package that does the job, uh, we will see a recession that's deeper, longer, and more painful than it needs to be. And, you know, we saw in the Great Recession what happens when aid dries up too soon, which it did. They cut, cut off the aid too soon when the recession was still roaring. We, we had nearly a lost decade of stagnant wages for workers, too few jobs in many parts of the state, and painful cuts to, to schools, to social services, and more that we never even began, began to reverse before this pandemic hit. So for the sake of our economy and our people, uh, we can't repeat that mistake this time around. So thanks for having me. I'll pass it back to you, Mackenzie. 
Thank you, Jason. Um, as you said, every household in Kentucky is hurting as a result of this virus and uh, changing economy. Whether you are still able to perform your job, but you feel like you are taking uh, a lot of risk in just showing up and doing that job and your employer is not protecting you, or if someone in your household hasn't even been able to go to work because they've lost their job, um, or they're having to do their job in a different way, a new way at home, learn new skills. Um, and I can't think of a better way today to pay homage to these workers than what we're doing today, which is uh, hearing their stories. So um, I'm going to turn it next to Mary Prophet. Mary is, um, I'll let her tell her story, but I have to uh, say something special about Mary because Mary's been in this fight for a long time now. She'll tell you about losing her job, but she was on a call that we did a couple of months ago urging Congress to extend the $600 before it ran out. And Mary, I, I, I can't wait to hear from you now about, you know, what's happened since uh, this, this money has run out, how, how you're doing personally and tell, tell everyone else your story in case this is the first time uh, that they're hearing from you. Um, I'm in Lexington, Kentucky. I lived in Louisville for years. I moved to Lexington um, six or seven years ago to take care of a mother with Alzheimer's and a father with um, chronic lymphatic leukemia. And the job I had at the time was very demanding. It was 60 to 80 hours a week. And I have a 12-year-old, he's 12 now, 12-year-old son with special needs. But there was not, um, while the money was adequate, there was nothing left of me. I couldn't take care of my ailing parents and take care of my son, much less myself. So I chose to step out of that job because if I made a mistake with medications, one of my patients would have died. And so I chose to step out of that and work in the restaurant business, which lended itself to more flexible hours. That being said, um, and fast forward, there are no, um, there's no benefits except for the flexibility in restaurant work. The pay is poor. Um, there are no health, healthcare benefits, no paid time off. So when the pandemic came in and workers were being laid off in my restaurant um, due to dining room closure, my boss tried to keep me on because I'm a valued employee. I work hard. I have um, a little wacky sense of humor and can draw out um, in the service industry, can draw out people and help their day be better. So he tried to keep me on as best he could, but the hours kept getting cut. And long and short of it, I was out of 60 restaurants across the United States. I was the oldest employee. So I was the most vulnerable. And um, so I chose to be able to stay home. Um, I was given the option and take care of my son. Well, the schools were closed. So that was a necessary evil. The poor old Kentucky unemployment, I think Clarence said something about it. The unemployment system is so jacked up that 
this morning I saw people who still haven't gotten a dime of unemployment since April, which is unconscionable. Um, I happen to have been one of those people stuck in the, in the employment loop. I went for 18 weeks without a dime of unemployment and I'm a single mom. So it was extremely difficult to do anything, to make ends meet, um, to pay any bills, much less go to the grocery store. It took four months to get the pandemic EBT for my son, which was only $300. And as you all know, $300 doesn't go very far in the grocery store. Um, so I made and sold masks to pay for electric bill and groceries. And, um, and yet there are still so many people out there who, like I, I'm trying to help a guy who's homeless because of the, the ongoing debt that he incurred from the pandemic. And he's a young man. I mean, he's 26 and living in his car. Um, I think he just fell through the cracks on the eviction moratoriums. Um, but anyway, there are a million stories like mine. Um, I have been working with um, Unemployed Action and CPD. Um, and it's the only thing that has kept my mental health from throwing me off a deep cliff. Because um, the pandemic should have, should have been tended to a long time ago. Now, I'm just... I don't care who believes what, it's, um, it's a scientific fact that it is an illness. It's a very contagious illness. And I don't wanna kill my 87 year old dad who already has a compromised immune system. I don't want my son to be um, parentless. And so um, I'm still at home and I'm still, you know, shouting for whoever will listen to me. Um, that there are so many of us, and thank you, John Yarmouth, for saying that we didn't do this. My, my motto is we didn't cause it, we can't control it, and we can't cure it. Um, I'm not even going to talk about the Grim, Grim Reaper because we all kind of know he's left the building. But the, where we are now is just as critical as we were in March. And it, it didn't have to be this way. Workers are still in danger. If I go back to work today, um, my hours will still be grotesquely limited. I won't have health insurance. Um, I won't have paid time off. And it's, it's a critical, critical mass problem right now. In the, and it's all across the United States. Um, I do my best to um, tip the grocery store pick up people because they work so hard in the heat. And um, when I go, go to Kroger and pick up my little groceries, I at least give them a dollar to get a cold drink. Um, and so I'm kind of jealous about the unionized folks. They at least have some support, um, but there's a lot of us have no support. So I get on here and run my mouth just, just so I can see other human beings and, and put it out there that this is, this is the worst time that in my 64 years that I have ever seen in America. Um, and, and the other thing I'm going to say, and then I'll, I'll hush, I could possibly um, take social security early because the pandemic's clearly not going away anytime soon. And I would gladly take it 
but now they're threatening social security <laughs> and I have paid in 50 years to social security. And just the fact that it is that threatened and I can't take it during a pandemic or I take a big, you know, chunk, they take a big chunk of money out is I'm just stuck. I am just stuck. So thank you all for listening to me and please vote, vote, wear a hazmat suit, crawl over hot call, coals crawl over broken glass but please vote thanks mary thank you so much for that you, it, it takes a lot of bravery to to share the story about uh losing work and the struggle that 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 takes place but um you are not alone there are a lot of people uh struggling along with you and and we are fighting for you thank you so much thank you again so I, I want to mention a couple resources to you all again. Um, Mary mentioned a group called Unemployed Action. Again, I want to mention you can text extend UI one word to 747464. That will communicate to your senator that people need help now. We need hazard pay. We need proper PPE and we need unemployment assistance reauthorized. Uh, I want to go back to everyone for, for your reflections on this, um, especially you, Congressman. We've heard from a lot of workers today. Let us know your reflections and, uh, and how you think we can help help you make, the, make a difference for workers today. Thanks, Mackenzie, and, and thanks to everybody who participated uh, in this uh, program. Uh, particularly those who were, were telling their stories. Uh, you know, they, these stories are repeated uh, across the country uh, millions of times. And that's why it's so incredibly important that uh, we do three things, I guess. One is keep speaking out. Second, um, vote. Uh, and third, uh, push back against uh, those who, who say things like, we can't afford to do it. I'm chairman of the budget committee now. We had we had a hearing early in the uh, in the year. It was uh, called "Does Debt Matter?" and it was the question of you know we're we're piling up big national debt. No question about that. Uh, is that a problem? And we had four uh, economists, three who Democrats selected, one who the Republicans selected, and basically everybody said what every economist is saying right now is that we can't afford not to do this. We can't afford not to keep people alive. There's a, a school of thought called modern monetary theory that is um, basically holds that if you as a country are, have a sovereign currency, which we do, uh, that you can do anything you need to do. You can spend whatever you need to spend. And I've had some discussions with people who say, well, I can't run my house that way, my household, of course, there's no comparison, but I, I respond to them by saying, if you could print your own money, you could, right? I mean, if you had your own printing press, you could print, you could spend whatever you needed to spend. Well, that's where the country is. We do have our own printing press. <laughs> we can print money. And to, to Mary's question about Social Security, Social Security is going to be around forever. Uh, the only thing, you know, we have all these warnings about the trust fund's gonna go out of money. The only reason that is relevant is because the law says 
that you can only pay social security benefits out of the social security trust fund. We can change the law tomorrow. We can change the law tomorrow and say, we can pay social security benefits out of the general fund. So that's a non-issue. We can do what we need to do as a country. The only question is the political will to do it. And that's what, uh, again, that's why I say we need to keep speaking out. We need to keep the pressure on politicians who uh, don't know what they're talking about uh, and who think that uh, people like Mary and Clarence are slackers because they happen to uh, live during a time when we had a national pandemic. I mean, there's no logic to it, but uh, we just need to keep pushing it back, back, back at that mentality and say, government is there to serve its people. That's its only function. And now our people need to be served uh, in, a, in a desperate time. Thank you again, Congressman. Again, we want to thank the organizations who co-hosted today's event, Kentucky Equal Justice Center, the Kentucky Center for Economic Policy, the Kentucky State Building and Construction Trades Council, the Kentucky State AFL-CIO, and the Center for Popular Democracy, who helped us with technical support. I hope you found today's program inspiring and useful and thought-provoking. I certainly did. That was the Kentucky Labor Day Town Hall held online on September 7th. We end this show with Elaine Perkey singing her song, America, Our Union, from the Apple Shop film Justice in the Coal Fields, which covered the Pittston coal strike. A native of Logan County, West Virginia, Elaine was a powerful singer and songwriter, a community organizer, wife, mother, grandmother, and friend and mentor to many. She died on September 2nd at the age of 71 from COVID-19. Our great and mighty union stands unbroken still today. It's helped us through hard times before. We know it's here to stay. America, America, please listen to our pleas. We want to work our union jobs. We just want to be free. The federal courts have been unfair with fines no one could pay. If this is just a why can't they stay away? 
This story and others about revitalizing our Appalachian economy and renewing our communities are online at www.makingconnectionsnews.org. WMMT welcomes differing opinions. Contact us at 606-633-0108 if you would like to speak your piece. I'm your host, Mimi Pickering. Thank you for listening to WMMT, Real People Radio.